I'm still here. There was a point Monday night where I considered throwing myself in front of a bus. Not for very long, mind you. <laughs> the bus that was parked in the Manchester United penalty area, was that the one? Yeah, that, that would be it. That'd be the one, yeah. Not a very good method of suicide, is it? Throwing yourself in front of a parked bus. something something of a wonky parked bus to completely bastardise this analogy. It was a G-Sung parked bus, in fact. Oh, <laughs> the highlight of my week was probably the moment when I was listening to the Guardian football podcast, uh, Football Weekly, which is excellent. I suppose everyone that listens to this probably listens to that as well. But Jacob Steinberg was on and he was talking about watching the match with Rob Smythe and what he described as other Man United fans who were sort of upset and angry about the team selection and getting progressively more upset and angry throughout the game. And I know that Rankcast listeners extraordinaire Doran and Awate would have been in that gang and, and so would you yourself Ed. Yes uh, Jacob was there and, and so was Rob. He was quite angry. Do you hear that though? First name terms. No not really. I said hi you know. Oh, I was just chatting to my other mates you know. Anders Red aka Andy Green. Mi- Mr Sky the financial dude. Turned up in his, his suit as he does. I mean obviously earns a filthy amount of money. Perhaps you could bail out the Glazers if you're listening Andy. I'm kidding of course. And the, the saviour of British hip hop of course. Owate was there. Yes planning on laying down the track the next day so there you go. Yeah anyway uh, on to serious matters yes yeah you're right there was there was a lot of angry united fans and and do you know when that anger started at about quarter past seven when the team sheet turned up. It was a very odd thing. I, I got to the place I was watching the game and I looked at my phone and there was like an official team sheet doing the rounds and it was basically the team that we'd picked except with Nani on the left, I think, or with Young on the left instead of Nani. I was thinking, okay, this is it. And then they turned the uh, volume on, all the TVs, and there was a man standing outside a dressing room reading off a list of numbers that sounded like there was no possible way it could be the United team sheet. And then he said, and on the bench and uh, my heart skipped a beat as I realised that you said on the show last week that if Fergie gambles with this one he's gambling with the title that's exactly what he did it was a shocking team formation I mean everything Ferguson's done over 25 years my rant in the next few minutes has nothing to do with that he's obviously been the the best manager in football history many would argue certainly in United's history and he's achieved so much but that was an utter disaster a complete and utter disaster. And the most frustrating thing about it was that the moment that team sheet was put in, United were doomed to failure from that point. And everybody knew it. Everybody, I looked at it and thought, we're screwed. We're screwed. Every single person in that bar just was deflated. Apart from Awate, who has a bubbly, optimistic personality and thought Paul Scholes would score four. That's his default position. That's Awate's default position about a football match that Paul Scholes is playing in. So, so there you go. But there was a lot of deflation, a lot of anger. I thought it was a, a, a really, really shockingly poor or a team sheet and almost right throughout the side because uh, it wasn't just the the formation that didn't work for United I mean we discussed on the preview that probably packing midfield was a sensible thing to do and, and I would have played 5-3 midfield too but the players were many of them in their wrong positions many of them moved around four of them were patently not fit and for good reason because they barely played at all in Park Ji-sung we had a player who touched the ball 17 times was completely all over the place just ran around like a headless chicken and basically provided absolutely no value to United at all. United effectively played with 10 men and it clearly wasn't fit. Uh, I, I don't have all the pro zone stats but I bet if I did we'd see that his top speed was lower than ever before, his miles per minute were lower than ever before and I think we'll have seen quite a significant decline over the last year or so and I talked about I think I joked about a three lungs park was now two and a half lungs. I'm, I'm not sure he's even got the two at the moment. He, he was clearly way way beyond the level of fitness acceptable for a, for a Premier League game. Jones hadn't played in 
well, I barely played in the last two months. Uh, not all his fault, but he also ran around like a headless chicken at times, coming out from right back into the centre of midfield, leaving huge gaps all over the place. And of course, it, it didn't cost United a goal, but it increased the pressure. Smalling wasn't sharp enough, didn't get to company. Uh, he took some criticism for that. But I think if Smalling had been playing for four months, he probably would have got to company. A pretty, pretty schoolboy error, I have to say, losing a, a goal direct from a corner like that. So right throughout the side, you had problems. You had Giggs playing left wing exactly the position that Ferguson said what four or five years ago now that he couldn't play and everyone knows he can't play it anymore it gave away the ball 25% of the time which is his standard and Rooney who scored 33 goals almost all of them from a slightly deeper position and formed an excellent partnership with Danny Welbeck who scored a brilliant goal against uh, Everton the week before and, and Welbeck was dropped and Rooney was dumped up front on his own miles away from the United midfield and you look down the list of stats and it all demonstrates how poor United play played uh, lots less possession lots less passes made lots less successful passes the breakdown of passes was sideways and backwards for United more crosses only four of them reached their target of, uh, and and the worst the most damning one of all not a single shot on target from United it's three years since any Ferguson team has done that and in the biggest match of the season that was totally unacceptable I mean you just took us through that entire game there sorry no that's that's all right I, I understand you need to get these things off your chest it's very understandable and the these circumstances for the moment of team selection was awful uh, it was a horrible sinking feeling Fergie said he wasn't playing for a draw which was a lie he was, ob- he was he was lying which is fine there's nothing wrong with that particular kind of lying I don't think but it was nonsense and United were really on top for the first 10 minutes and the sinking feeling in my stomach didn't get any better because we've been on top for the first 10 minutes in a lot of games where we've crucial games where it's all gone horribly wrong a couple of Champions League finals I can think of yeah the, the 6-1 as well people get understandably yeah so buzzing exciting like really nanny looking dangerous Rooney looking dangerous the selection of Jisung Park I I was a guest on the Can They Score podcast this week and the episode title is Sir Alex Ferguson's worst most serious selection ever which is because that's what I described the selection of Jisung Park in this game as he's made some mistakes obviously we all do I find this one beyond comprehension I I find this one bordering on the sentimental there's no way that Park in training can have been impressing and demonstrating that he would be able to do his old park in a big game job because if he could do that then he wouldn't have as you say contributed almost literally nothing to United's cause because he just fell over a lot and that's not I mean that that's, that's not facetious to say that he fell over really an unacceptably high amount of the time in possession out of position Seven, 17 passes he made 17 passes uh, 11 of them were accurate uh, and I, I would hazard a guess that he fell over on most of those as well the selection of Phil Jones at right back really made no sense to me because when we were talking about team selection last week we said well play Smalling at right back because you get a defensive solidity and a height and a power that you don't get with Raphael Smalling was obviously uh, called into the centre of defence because Johnny Evans was injured I I think it's extremely harsh to lay too much blame at Smalling's door because the way United was set up meant that one lapse from any of our defenders meant that we were going to lose the game basically one lapse at a crucial moment and to put that much pressure on such a young player who's not been playing especially not been playing in central defence hardly at all is very you know you're going to get mistakes if you do that but Phil Jones had a a, a horrendous game and it was painful to watch because the times when we actually created you mentioned that we had more crosses than City a lot of those crosses came from the right hand side where there was a horrible Valencia and Raphael shaped hole 
Yeah. And uh, a lot of the crosses came in from Phil Jones, who can't cross the ball, you know, which is not a criticism of a centre-back. Yeah, right. What I couldn't understand about that is there was one in force change. Why make a second? Well, that's that's exactly my point, because Jones doesn't give you the same level of defensive solidity and calmness that Smallland gives you. He gives you something else, so, you know, he's many fine qualities. In fact, he made one crucial last-ditch intervention. The, the great irony of all this is United were absolutely battered, and the analogy of Ferguson, the gambler, trying to stack the odds in his favour and win some, lose fewer than you win. Uh, this one was one he lost massively, but United only lost 1-0. It, it would only have taken a, a bobble from a set piece in the second half to snatch horrendously undeserved draw, and then everyone going, oh, Fergie, you know, he's done it again. But that was, make no mistake about it, that was terrible team selection. And when we sat here in our respective seats at the end of the podcast last week and talked about team lineups, the thing that we both struggled with was the idea of the fact that United do not have the the personnel to park the bus. We said it about the, the Chelsea game against Barcelona. United don't have the personnel to play that system. You can't park the bus and expect to counterattack with players that give the ball away 25% of the time, players that fall over when they lose possession and when they're in possession, and Carrick and Skulls, that's not what they're good at. They're good at possession football, breaking down teams slowly, finding gaps, exploiting spaces. They're not good at soaking up pressure. And, yeah. you know, United actually soaked up pressure incredibly well for the first half because Rio was marshalling the defence and, and there is no one finer at that. De Gea didn't have to make too, too many saves, but it was on a knife edge the whole way and we were just sitting back waiting for disaster to strike. One of the reasons is that United didn't lose more than 1-0. I mean, City created 15 chances, most of them inside the box, right? So this wasn't, wasn't long-range shooting, but most of them wide and City were pretty profligate. If it hadn't been for that, we'd have lost by more. Contrast this to United, I said uh, not a single shot on target. We only created one chance inside the box. One! It's not as if we were wasting chances either. Uh, you know, any other chances we had were long-range efforts. They were hopeful. United were not set up in any way to try and attack until the last 10 minutes. And that's the other thing. The substitutions came with Ashley Young came on with about six minutes to go. Valencia came on with about 10 minutes to go. Welbeck came on with half an hour to go when Ferguson had finally realised the number was up with part. But it was all far too much, far too late. And, and United contributed nothing going forward. No, and it, it was horrible to watch. I thought that Rooney had an all right game and used the ball all right under the circumstances circumstances couple of really good passes his passing was okay but we needed Valencia so very very much in that game I understand the selection of Nani because he's an effective counter-attacking player although of course frustrating because there's the ball that flies over the bar there's three of those for every one that flies into the top corner but you could have played Nani on the left and Valencia on the right and had either Giggs or Park off and the other one playing I mean I, I think you got a favourite gigs but it was just horrendous it was absolutely horrendous uh, the one thing I don't get is the idea that United somehow didn't want it enough that I I, I don't understand why people are levelling that accusation against a team that was basically just outclassed well it felt very limp I mean I can see why people would say that because it's half an hour that was deciding the title effectively I mean you know I, I don't I mean, come on to this but I don't imagine that the City will make a mistake now and they'll have gained so much confidence from that victory but so we're half an hour from deciding the title. I didn't see any desperation. I didn't see any urgency that the United's tempo didn't change in any way. Personnel did eventually, but it came with 10 minutes to go. United was sucked into a mindset for the majority of that game. But how do you change the tempo with Carrick, Giggs, 
skulls and you know even once Park goes off how do you change your tempo at that point with with Jones at right back so that whenever you know the, there's any attacking play down the right there's a, a huge chance of no delivery at the end of it I, I just I just don't think the personnel was there to change the tempo there, there was nobody apart from Patrice Evra and Nani and Rooney who can run you know on that pitch well Phil Jones is quite quick but y- you know what I'm saying it's like it's it's not like the option was there to suddenly play attacking football and our midfield was absolutely battered you know because which is why they were basically they were impotent at the point at which you would expect them to get back in and start roaring up the field and all that stuff they were not able to because City stopped them incredibly effectively Mancini made a really smart substitution bringing De Jong on I actually wondered at the time if that might cost him to go so defensive so early and remove remove Tevez from for De Jong but it did the job that it was supposed to do incredibly effectively. Right, it took Ferguson nearly eight minutes to respond to that as well. I, I don't understand. I don't understand Fergie's management in that game. I mean, he made some horrendous mistakes from the start through the game, the whole lot of it. And you know, we, we're at the point where we desperately need a goal to stay in the league title. And as somebody, I'm sorry, I can't remember who pointed out on Twitter, we can't bring Hernandez on because he has got to spend all his substitutions correcting the mistakes of the starting lineup. Right. So yeah, uh, painful, but a painful game to watch as a United fan, just because. And also, like the the whole thing that people are saying, well, how can you say this has got anything? to do with the Glazers were you saying it was anything to do with the Glazers when we were in the Champions League final and winning the thing winning the league last season it's like yes I was actually but yeah well yeah the cracks can't be papered over anymore because there's a team which has had a ridiculous amount of investment and you know I'll let you talk about the financial doping but it couldn't have been clearer that that's what was going on we're playing against the Harlem Globetrotters essentially I like a bit of data and there's some good analysis done by people behind the transfer price index who also have a a book out uh, called Pay As You Play and uh, it's, it's uh, led by Paul Tompkins who's a Liverpool supporter but he, he does some good work despite that uh, I'll let him off that mind discretion they run some analysis uh, kind of similar to the, the stuff that the guys behind the Soconomics book did a couple of years ago uh, and they look at particularly interesting pieces value add by the managers so given the price of the squad assembled and given what you'd expect when running a regression analysis to get in terms of points from that squad value and of course we have many many years of Premier League football and First Division football before to work out the relationship between transfer spending and in in Soconomics case wage spending and results and so there you can run the aggression and work out the value add that the managers give and Ferguson comes out on top so he comes out on top not just in terms of trophies and points but the additional points that United get in addition to what they should have got with the money that they've spent that's a very long-winded way of saying that Ferguson has kept this together during a period when United have spent on average about 7.5 million pounds net on players and I think net is an important one I've seen people reject that but it is an important one because it's a measure of the quality coming in and the quality leaving uh, we le- we lost a player who scored over 50 goals this season United probably be 20 points ahead now we still had Ronaldo in the side that's that's how good the guy is that's how much talent we lost and we didn't replace it now in terms of value we've we've just about spent more than that uh, but we haven't spent enough to derive additional value as well and we haven't spent enough to keep up with the opposition and Ferguson was lucky that he's been able to squeeze so much out of gigs and goals and others Carrick and, and Ferdinand but at, at a point where we might be transitioning to a newly younger team that's been bought on a different scale of budget altogether than before we might be finding we're going to have some problems here now talked about those two pieces of an- 
analysis, the guys who did Soconomics reckon there was a 72% correlation between wages and success, and the guys who do pay-as-you-play reckon it's 89% between transfer spending and success. And the variance is down to luck and managers and other things, you know? Like, for example, incredibly poor choices of transfer spend, £35 million for Andy Carroll yeah. spewing the data significantly. Or injuries or, or whatever, all that yeah. other stuff that happens in football. But, but the point being, most of it's about money and the manager, you know? And we've got a brilliant manager who's compensating as much as possible for the lack of money. Yeah, and the thing about m- Monday night was the lack of money was in full evidence on the pitch because the players that he's been compensating with, he hasn't got a squad which can provide opposition at that level. You know, he, he hasn't got a squad that can do the job he needed the squad to do. I think his selection was poor. I understand his reasoning for wanting to play defensively. It makes sense in a way to think we, we're really up against it here but we only need a draw so let's try and soak up pressure and hit him on the break and, and nick a draw that makes sense but we just don't have the players who can do it and to not play to our strengths then ends up looking absolutely calamitous I can't imagine he was trying to keep the goal difference of a loss down because we're so far behind in goal difference that unless John O'Shea really does just pick it up and chuck it into the net 19 times against Sunderland on the last day of the season it's not going to make a blindest bit of difference no we're not, we're not going to make up 10 goals no we, we, it's just not going to happen so one's a good side they are not going to lose 10 nil at Old Trafford it's not going to happen and ditto at Sunderland uh, I, you know even if we put six past each yeah I mean, your City played QPR on the last day they could well score a score a hatful then as well I mean QPR may well be down by then at Johnny B 7 says is it fair to say that Sir Alex Ferguson just like a player losing form has had a very poor end to the campaign with his gambles four points in four games uh, and I mean you have to hold him responsible for some of the horrendous complacency shown against Everton and a very poor substitution at the wrong time and Phil Jones came on after the horse had bolted and we were already down. it was already for all and it was too late he should have come on half an hour earlier when it was clear that Everton were out muscling United in midfield and, and Paul Scholes didn't have a very good game that day and, and so yeah that was a really bad mistake uh, when United don't show enough drive and they've been complacent on many occasions you've got to think that's coming from the, the manager and I have to say he set the tone for some of that with the European campaign where it was quite clear that uh, Ferguson in the Champions League thought it was going to be easy and then the Europa League just didn't care at all and uh, and if we see some complacency coming that's probably why and this is very unlike United in a run-in isn't it there's something happened that's different than before uh, quite obviously four points out of four games is shockingly bad for United when you think about United powering through in a, in a run-in but uh, and, and it, you, beforehand I don't think you could possibly have said that's all United would have got we need five points to be a point ahead right if you said Wigan Villa Everton and City I very much doubt that any fans would have said United get only four points the odds would have been very long on that clearly I think given the results that had happened in the previous 12 games and so clearly there's been some huge mistakes players and manager yeah no no, and I agree wholeheartedly and I think it's a real shame that this has happened to Fergie because you know he's done it so many times he's successfully overseen so many run-ins but really I mean I think that the combination between the fact that he took Wigan so lightly and really gambled uh, with the Wigan game and then he really gambled on the City game and he lost both of those gambles the odds on that were, were quite long in themselves you know especially the Wigan game but the the Everton game which out of all of it feels the most out of character with losing to City we've we've always had run-ins where we've lost big games to big teams but we've managed to make it not matter um, by, by winning all the 
the other games. And also, we've always had the odd wobble against a team you don't expect us to lose to, such as the Wigan game. But the the thing I don't ever remember is us capitulating a lead at home so close to the end of the game in such abysmal fashion and displaying such callous, such a, a, a callous lack of professionalism on the pitch, basically. I, 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 I can't think of another example of that. And and after this season's gone, it won't be the selection of Jisung Park that stands out to me. It will be the way we threw it away against uh, Everton. Well, look, I think that's perfectly fair enough, but we shouldn't have been in a position where, where the City game mattered at all. I mean, given where absolutely. we were, absolutely right. It was a calamitous, calamitous result against Everton. It put United under all sorts of pressure where Ferguson ended up picking that side because the mindset was, let's just get a point. Because if United had won against Everton, we could have gone and lost at City and it not mattered quite nearly as much and, and we'd have been able to play with a lot more freedom. And, and probably we would have played a much more attacking side, a side that looked a lot closer to, to what we'd have expected as well. One of the things that made it made it so disappointing when the real team sheet came out was that um, a, a couple of Twitter people put uh, the wrong team out and it included all the people you'd expect, included yeah, included Nani and Valencia and Welbeck and Rooney and, and Raphael and, and I retweeted it at that point high on the fact that he hadn't tinkered. There's me issuing doom all over the place beforehand because I just had that, that horrible feeling inside that Ferguson was going to tinker and I'd heard some very good rumours that they'd been practising shapes all, all week with Park and, and he was almost certain to start and, and yeah. Evans was injured and that was in the morning and so I was you know feeling pretty doom laden and then this team comes out and I'm thinking whoa I, it's totally wrong where did I get all that information from but it wasn't <laughs> yes it wasn't and then the reality hits you that uh, United are about to get stuffed so we've we've had a number of questions from listeners which is which is always good and I think at this point there's there's no more appropriate question than from at no heroes here who simply asks can I have a hug please uh, oh yeah of course you can yeah it's it, you know uh, immediately after the final whistle blew I went into perspective mode because actual real life tragedy happens and I, I, I make a conscious effort to keep football in perspective in my life because I, I think it's truly important to do that for kind of healthy human functioning it, you went the other way and called 12,000 people the C word I was reading my Twitter feed to be fair I'd had a, a few jars of ale <laughs> so you know and I, I wasn't seeing enough anger there I just wasn't and you know I, I, it, was, it wasn't directed at any one person in particular it was generic it was it was every specific individual reader of your Twitter feed at that moment something along those lines but you know it sparked a a debate which is i only had one complaint about that and a lot of people saying that they were effing angry as well yeah i i I saw that too yeah so i i mean i i don't know i I was disappointed Uh, i find it hard to be angry about it because when you when you get down to it the roots of this problem run really deep my anger about the fact that our club's been stolen from us for the personal profit of of a a few american business people it's a, a sad state of affairs it's it, uh, basically I'm I'm much more sad about what's happened to Manchester United at this point than angry because the the anger's subsided and it's like yep uh, this is this is the consequence of not just football but the whole capitalist superstructure that we all live in and basically that's why we lost against City. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean if you want to put numbers on that, it's it's more than 525 million taken out of the club in in interest payments, debt repayments, fees loans to the glazers uh, bank charges refinancing forex you know the whole the whole gambit of of debt and and uh, everything that's associated with it 
is over 500 million pounds and at the same time it's about a billion that's been invested in city either in in buying club and investment around the stadium and in the stadium and and uh, players and wages and all of that and and you take that swing and I, I you know no club could cope with it quite clearly but i mean also that that 500 million figure is it's that's what's actually come out of the club but that doesn't even that doesn't even take into account the changes in budgeting and philosophy that have been necessary because of the future yeah. operating model of manchester yeah, united yeah. like the you know the budget reduction is not 500 million it's a whole different way of thinking about it the fact that we are not in the market for transfers at the top end of the market anymore at all whatsoever i know i know i get people uh, when i make these arguments go oh yeah but the glaciers have doubled revenue they have and they've doubled revenue in order to to stand still united are running very hard to stand still in a very competitive marketplace i mean the fact is that the marketplace has changed at the same time as this there there is greater competition home and abroad united their wage pressure is very high on all clubs and, and united are struggling with that too uh, with the model that we have in place the financial model we have in place it, it's making being competitive increasingly difficult and, and this doesn't happen overnight right it's an erosion of of talent and we are seeing it and one other thing thing people will say is ah oh, yeah but if united were a plc we'd be paying dividends which we might well end up going back to in the autumn and, and we'd be paying tax well uh, at the same model uh, that was applied between 1991 and 2005 you take the typical dividend percentage the cost in dividends would have been 62 and a half million pounds as opposed to 525 million i know which one i'd rather have in place and of course united have paid tax as well and 20 percent. but it doesn't even nearly get to it doesn't even get to nearly half of what's been sucked out of this club and i did a q a with goal.com beforehand and one of the questions that was put to me was am i jealous of city's money and and my answer was this and it's the the same as it's been for the last six years no i don't want some sugar daddy in front of united united is a club that has stood on its own two feet through some very smart management over the last 125 years well smart management hasn't always been the case with the club i have to to say there's been some significant periods of very poor management but certainly the last 25 years or so some very smart financial management united saw an opportunity and exploited it and did very well at that and have created a global fan base and global commercial opportunities as a result and so united is a club that can stand on its own and compete with real madrid and barcelona and also compete with with clubs with sovereign wealth like city or individual wealth like chelsea and the reason and the reason we're not going to be able to do that in the same way is because we're burdened by still 440 million pounds worth of debt i gotta say i was barely comfortable with the way we had financial clout beforehand you know what i mean i'm barely comfortable with the the commercialization model of making huge wealth for your club and and let alone the sovereign wealth model i I've never really thought about finance, and that's weird, especially doing a pod you for such a long time. I've never really thought about financial doping in any depth. But I was watching that match, and it really was just evident. It was like a heavyweight boxing match where one of the guys has been massively juicing and the other one hasn't. Because that's not Manchester City. They've got a banner that says, Manchester thanks you, Sheikh Mansour, up there. And it's weird. It's it's feudal. I'm not, not having a pop at them because they're City fans, because I could not care less about that that the the tribalism in football is my least favorite thing about it apart from the capital and john terry but but that is a very weird message we the people thank you for randomly picking our club to be the one which gets artificially inflated to a size that it can't sustain on its own you know it's, it's weird right yeah well they certainly can't sustain it on its own their wages running at 130 odd percent of revenue yeah they're, they're a very very long way away from from uh, 
even meeting UEFA's financial fair play model, which is a, a pretty loose interpretation of what many people hoped financial fair play would be and phased in over a very long time. And, and even with City's additional round of doping through sponsorship by various interlinked companies in Abu Dhabi, uh, they're still a very long way from breaking even and, and meeting those obligations. But you look at those players and they have no connection with the club. Right, yeah. You know? There aren't a lot of United players have a connection with the club either, mind you. And and look, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite here. United United had success through through financial gain before, but and you can say, ah, what's the difference between exploiting the market and just getting a sugar daddy? Uh, but, you know, I don't know, is it morally different? It, it's certainly structurally different, and uh, it's different in terms of how a sporting competition runs. But United is also built on long-termism. But yeah, Fergie will get rid of the odd player in a short-term fashion, but, but he signs players for the long-term. They're players who are invested in their career at United for the long-term. I'm talking about United of the last 25 years, because that's all I'm really qualified to talk about. Throughout that period of time, there's been very few players who have been uh, players at the top level who've come for a short period of time to United. There's an investment in the club, inherent in playing for the club for a long time. I would argue that Rio, for example, who was a player bought at the absolute top of the market at the peak of his career, has developed a very significant connection to the club over that period of time. Yeah. You know, so anyway, but but yeah, it's, it was all in all, it was a rubbish night to be a Man United fan. And, and one of the reasons for me kind of banging on about perspective is not just like football versus the real world perspective, but just football perspective. You know, you, you could have by an accident of birth been a supporter of a completely different club and never ever experienced any success at all. To sum up that very eloquent way of putting it, it could be worse. You could be scarce. <laughs> And shall we, uh, with that, wrap up the depressing misery that was the City game and look forward to, I don't know, next season? Yeah, yeah. can we just end it all now? So it reminded me of that John Cleese quote from Clockwork, uh, which is one of my favourite films of the 80s. And he said, despair I can take, Cathy. Despair I can take. It's the hope I can't stand. And and unfortunately, we're going to now flick over into hope mode and hope that Newcastle do us a favour at the weekend. And maybe, maybe Papi Sisse, who scored one of the finest goals I've ever seen, absolutely stunning strike against Chelsea you must have seen it by now but uh, it's uh, maybe he'll do that maybe he'll single-handedly beat City as long as as well as beating Chelsea maybe but but I just don't like that I don't like to think about it I just I prefer to get into my mind that that was probably it because you know the odds from here are are very small of City blowing it I think full of confidence they'll go to St James's Park and win and we've still got to go to Sunderland of course which could be a real problem we've still got to beat Swansea at home which could be a real problem it certainly could be yeah Uh, the Papi Cissé guy a couple of things about that one I tweeted at the moment that that went in this is the exact hope that kills you this is what that this is the exact hope they mean seeing that goal go in and you're like oh maybe just maybe the fact that Newcastle battered Chelsea and are absolutely flying is is I'm sure all you know maybe maybe if it all goes ridiculously well then we'll all be delighted about that but for now I could live without it frankly I could live without this sliver of light in coming through the tunnel yeah well well Alan Pardew will drop Cissé for the the game anyway that goal that goal everyone really says that's a goal of the season for him when I I've watched it numerous times because how can you not I have a slight issue with it being like a super wonder goal because to me it just looked like he smacked it sort of however he could get contact on the ball and it ended up like doing it looked like a 99p football that you buy from the garage an airflow ball so it just absolutely like caught the wind and swung over Petrchek's no, head no I don't think it was a wind I, I think he's he's cut across the ball because he's trying to get a dip on it and so I think the dip and the swing 
swerve our mint and he's hit it absolutely beautifully cleanly and I don't think he could have controlled how much swerve and I, I think that that's the bit that feels like a bit of a fluke and that it bent quite so much um, but I think if it had bent 10 foot less it would still been a goal and a, a very good one at that alright no fair enough so we've got a question let's do a couple of Twitter questions before we move on I'm looking forward to talking about the selection of the England manager as well at MGZ93 asks how much of a disparity will there be between what the fans want done this summer and what will actually happen enormous yeah okay so let's let's assume that the majority of fans uh, want United to to go and fix things uh, by entering the market and buying some big name classy players and that's certainly what the poll on United rant certainly currently says so we'll, we'll go with that one as a majority view it's not scientific by any means uh, and so yeah that's not going to happen there isn't that kind of money uh, being uh, in the pot this summer there might be after the IPO but the IPO is not going to happen until the autumn we think uh, and so I, I just can't imagine unless the Glazers are willing to dip into the bank and borrow some money that yeah, Ferguson is going to be given a huge amount of money to spend uh, Daily Star ran a piece and you can laugh now of course uh, saying yeah. <laughs> United had 100 million pounds to spend this summer not going to happen that's what they said last season as well at about this time they did Manchester Even News ran uh, a piece uh, saying United had 150 million to spend uh, shows you how good their contacts are Doran says who would you like to see wear the number 7 shirt next year brackets Ed recently joined my Owen club so I know who he wants oh yeah my, Michael Owen I, he's a fine player and, and Michael Owen's performance for United over three years has just demonstrated exactly why he's earned the right to wear the number 7 shirt for United on a bench full of strikers there was no place for Michael Owen we, I think we've answered this question before our, our universal Rantcast official stamp of approval for who should wear the number 7 shirt is officially Antonio Valencia I think he's earned it don't you yeah and, and that was a joke by the way against about Michael Owen just in case you're a new listener and you don't realise yeah uh, Ed has r- repeatedly said that he will pick it Carrington uh, if we s- extend Michael Owen's contract I've been looking into making signs for you Ed because I think that might happen thanks <laughs> thanks thanks C- creative yeah uh, yeah uh, look uh, Valencia's uh, one what would you say he's definitely in the top three United oh, players yeah. this season I did want to talk about we should have some nominations in a little bit for our players of the season because we'll, we'll do our rank okay. cast awards at the end of the end of the campaign I guess but but he's definitely in there uh, he's earned the number seven chair yeah no question if you could be one Teletubby which one would you be and why asks Dylan MUFC 14 uh, I think I always like Poe Poe's red <laughs> obvious duh duh I'm impressed with your deep uh, Teletubby knowledge there Ed yeah so Poe's Poe po, Teletubby is a red is a red is a red Poe Teletubby is a red so we'll be him is it him I don't know and um, who would you like to see at Old Trafford next season and who would you like to see leave asks R Kirby 95 we're getting this question every week at the moment so long as feel free to sell my park my G-Sung Park I will quite understand and if you sell my park my G-Sung Park you will definitely not have a riot on your hands there's going to need to be some room made in the squad I think if I was if I was given a blank canvas to restructure United's squad I would lose some players I'd, I'd probably it pains me to say this greatly I'd probably encourage Ryan Giggs to move into the coaching department I think he's had his worst campaign in the United shirt by some distance and I'd say it he's he's a legend he's a legend that is a massively massively over overused word but he's earned a contract just for being a legend but he will take up a squad space as a result and Ferguson might actually be tempted to use him another worrying thing altogether so we, we are going to lose some strikers so uh, Owen uh, I don't think has earned another contract unfortunately we're going to lose Dimitar Berbatov it pains me that a man of his incredible talent hasn't made it at United but yeah he hasn't and uh, he's not about to change now and um, Machado 
needs to go uh, probably on loan I'm not sure he'll ever be good enough for United but you know you never know uh, he really does just need some football so we definitely need a striker uh, with two at least two midfielders short uh, so a creative one and a, a real evil bastard uh, I think we haven't had a player like that for quite some time have we and depending on what's happening with Rio if Rio stays we probably don't need another central defender because you, you kind of hope Smalling and James might get some time in that position but we do need a right back uh, it looks like Nathaniel Klein's coming in at least that's you know very strong money on that he's another young one uh, but we could do with some competition for Patrice Evra at left back as well if Fabio goes out alone so there you go that's my wish list that's a pretty substantial wish list okay so you wanted to talk about nominations and we've had a question from at Chris MUFC for life who says what United player do you think has scored the best goal this season yeah I was thinking about that one it's, it's a it's a difficult one I mean there were a couple of crackers against Everton last week especially Nani's goal and then thinking about Nani I thought his goal in the charity shield yeah that's that I think that's the one for me but it's a long time ago yeah it's probably my favorite it's probably my favorite of the year the, the interplay and and the, the fine finish and the you know it being against City and and all of that so. there have been some absolute belters scored by United this season the, the the odd thing about the way this season's gone if it if it does indeed finish in terrible disappointment is that there have been some tremendously enjoyable moments in amongst all the gloom and yeah the, the, the especially thinking back to August when we were playing samba football you know and every goal seemed to come from a stunning passing move uh, what was the game where we scored a belter after a 35 passing move very recently it was like some ridiculous number of passes in the move and then and then a very fine finish at the end of it and so that was that was good and I really like the one where Valencia kicked it as hard as he humanly as hard as anyone has ever kicked a football and he didn't know whether it was going to be a cross or a shot he said it was 50-50 but it was a shot and it was a heck of a shot at that against Blackburn that ball stayed hit didn't it <laughs> that ball is still hit now wherever it is yeah no so th- there's been some belters uh, I, I really but for me we've not managed to top the goal or indeed the performance of the second half of the community shield any any of those eight against Arsenal stand out to you there's just a blur of net bulges to me <laughs> yeah blur of goals yeah there, there was uh, Ashley Young's first I think where he cuts inside from the left and curls it into the top corner that was a very fine goal indeed there was another one of them later in the season as well not that long ago a couple of months ago that was that was superb as well there's been there's been some absolute crackers it's been interesting my moment of the season in that sense is probably not a goal my kind of outstanding technical moment of the season would have to be the De Gea save against Mata which I think is the best thing any footballer's done anywhere in the world this season frankly it's the moment that De Gea says changed his season and possibly even changed his career at United it's the moment that um, he he admits filled him with confidence and I think we all thought that after that game didn't we that that was going to change everything for him and, and he's been excellent ever since I don't, I don't recall him actually making a, an error since then no absolutely not and again he had a really pretty decent game against uh, City Alan Hansen blaming him for the goal uh, with a classic bit of analysis uh, Shearer and Hansen they don't do analysis they do analysis so so who are your nominations for player of the season so I mean if, if I'm doing a top three it'd probably be Carrick Valencia Evans and Rooney I know that's four in my top three but <laughs> that's definitely more than three I think you should do a top five and then put skulls at number five and you're done yeah I, I think that's that's fair enough oh but then what about De Gea well uh, yeah he's a very good second half of the season but uh, unfortunately his, his first few months weren't weren't so wonderful and, and indeed Evans uh, really came through in the second half of the season Carrick didn't play until November and Valencia's form really only took off in December and he had some injury problems and the interesting thing is you know of all of those probably very few people would vote for Rooney as United player of the season because it doesn't feel like he's had a wonderful campaign 
got 33 goals. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty great return for a player who hasn't always been in sparkling form. I think there's been some outstanding performances from, from Bruni. I do like him playing slightly deeper. I suspect he'll probably won't next season because I think we'll bring in that kind of creative player to play in the hole and Rooney will play up top on. Uh, much more often with players, you know, around him, I think that's the kind of structure that Ferguson's looking for. But 33 goals in average season is pretty awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. Talking of bringing creative midfielders, Shinji Kagawa, lots of talk about that. Who is he? What does what What's this all about then? Well, he's Japanese before people start saying, oh, he's a replacement for Park. Christ, you racists, a lot of you. He's he's Japanese, 23 years old, plays for Borussia Dortmund. He, he has played in the hole an awful lot this season. He's formed a fine partnership with Sven Bender. <laughs> you want us to sign him, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely my favourite player in Europe. We should sign him just for the name. It's just awesome. Uh, so yeah, Kagawa's a fine young player. He's, uh, he's had a few injury problems over the last couple of seasons, so he hasn't played huge in amounts of football but he's got a very good goal scoring record he scores at better than one in three so it's approaching one in two really uh, from midfield uh, which is awesome uh, he's another another very good season when he's been fit for Dortmund who've won the Bundesliga again for the second season in a row he's got a year left on his contract so he's going to be reasonable in price perhaps in the 12 to 15 million euro range probably edging up to 15 there'll be some competition for that signature so there's some very strong signals here that, that United have made a, a bid as such or you know they've been in touch with his people about about moving in and he's open to that one uh, which uh, I suppose the last time we tried to get someone from Germany with Mesut Ozil he, he wasn't it seemed so he'd be good, a good addition I have to say from what I've seen of him I, I don't watch huge amounts of Bundesliga football I do try and watch some from what I've seen of him he's a good player I think he's a great one maybe he'll step up you know I, I think that's United I think if you were going to pick one player there you'd pick Hazard who's, who is a really good player I think will we'll be one of the the top sort of attacking midfielders in the next few years and, and Kagawa doesn't strike me as being obviously in that class but but he might he might make it yeah and you know you had mentioned the replacement for Park thing but a player with appeal in the Far East is you know doesn't exactly lessen their Glazonomics value does it no 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 well, let's let's clarify one thing here United make no money from selling shirts overseas uh, almost nothing right so so if, if the appeal means that uh, that market is interested in United and that local companies would then want to become a sponsor of United in some way then then that's the commercial pill there's no direct commercial benefit from having players from from certain markets you know I mean like if you really want it if you really believe that then Ferguson just should fill his team f- full of players from India China Japan and the United States you cannot discount the fact that Park's been at the club as being a very significant reason for our fan base in certain parts of the world I mean or you mean Korea well, yeah, I would say that it hasn't moved United's financials one jot. Right, uh, okay. We do we do have a, a couple of sponsors from Korea, but they are low level sponsors. So it's uh, this is not a huge money spinning exercise. Let's not pretend it is. It just it just isn't. Oh, that's interesting. But if it increases the popularity in that part of the world, and United can get an extra sponsor also as a result, and it increases United's global appeal, then of course it's going to be of interest to, to the Glazers. Okay, so talking of things which are not a huge financial deal England have not tried to buy out Harry Redknapp's contract for a hundred million pound and they've gone instead for a rather more appealing selection Roy Hodgson easily the best English manager I mean yeah I think it's absolutely the right choice yeah I, I absolutely 
absolutely the right choice. He's he's a man who understands how to put the team together. He's a man who's experienced in many forms of football, European and international. Harry Redknapp has almost none of that experience. One one campaign in the Champions League does uh, not, for me, equate a vast amount of experience. Uh, Harry Redknapp admits he's no tactician, and and uh, the the thing that swung it for me, my opinion, but also for the FA, um, was that they want a much wider role for the England manager, who's in ahead of development for the whole of the English football game, not just the the first eleven of the first team, but also development of uh, many levels of football. And and that's absolutely right. It's that kind of holistic approach that has you know, borne such fruit in in Spain, in France before that, and in Germany that England tried to do. We're a long, long way behind. We're 15 years behind. It's a very good appointment, but he's not going to have an instant dividend because he's inheriting a squad of players that are not as good as as their peers in in France and Germany and Spain. Basically, what we need to do to make this work in England is just make sure that the newspapers are not allowed in the FA headquarters. It's as simple as that. Just don't allow anyone that works at the FA is never allowed to read a tabloid newspaper ever again because it's not going to work. Not because Roy Hodgson can't make it work, but because the FA have never had a spine and I don't see they're miraculously going to develop one now. And the media, whatever that is, you know, basically, I don't mean the media, I mean the tabloid football press are not going to... Plus Sky Sports News, yeah. Yeah, right. And not Well, that that's tabloid football press. They're not going to give Roy Hodgson a chance because, lovely old renter quote, Harry, I'm your mate. Oh, I'll tell you what, write a nasty story about that bloke what got my job. Well, I, I think there's a lot of people legs on their faces because they assumed Redknapp was going to get it and they, they've, they've written so many pieces of editorial that are based around Redknapp getting this position that they look pretty stupid as a result. They didn't pick this one. And so they're pretty angry and, and so there's going to be a reaction as a result. And and yeah, he's not as media friendly Hodgson. He's pretty spiky in press conferences. They sometimes go on a very long time. Quite easy to caricature, not just because of the speech impediment, but uh, also because of his kind of UEFA committee background and technical knowledge and, and all of that. Yeah, stupid idiots knowing about football. Right, right. He doesn't distill football down into sound bites, and so as a result, he's not going to get great press. Uh, some players aren't very good with that as well. He has a reputation of having very long train sessions and and very long uh, tactics sessions as well. Some players might not like that. Some of the egos in the England dressing room, and we know there are rampant egos in England dressing room, might think they know better than that as well. I, I hope he's a strong enough manager to get through that. I mean, I don't think the Liverpool experience is relevant at all. I mean, you know, people have tried to hold that up as, as some kind of evidence that he can't deal with big players. You're what, you what? You don't think he had big players at Inter in the late 90s? He had some very big players at Inter in the late 90s, and he's got nothing to do with that. He, he went into a club which, which was in complete disarray, and there was a change of ownership. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and Kenny Dalglish appointed himself manager of Liverpool, even when he didn't officially have the contract. He arrived at a club at its apotheosis. He arrived at the worst point in Liverpool history. He was associated with, you know, everything bad about the Hicks and Gillette regime and like whatever your feelings about Liverpool that was a terrible terrible ownership structure that their, their club was under at that time and you know he recognised Liverpool's mid-table position and accordingly signed Paul Koncheski which didn't make him popular no I mean I, I really hope he just leaves out John Terry and Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard from the Euros make a lot of sense I mean he won't leave Gerrard out if Gerrard's fit and I suspect he'll probably take Lampard as well all Lampard's experience I suppose uh, the John Terry situation uh, is an interesting one because he's 
he's he's very divisive. I can't see any scenario in which if Hodgson left Terry out, that there would be some kind of pushback from the players. Don't don't see it. I don't think so. I think he's probably pushed over the edge. And at, at the last championships in South Africa, he tried to take over the England squad, and and we know what happened with the World Cup performance as a result. So um, it looks like Rio Ferdinand will play. Whether he wants to play with Terry or not is another matter altogether. I think. I think if you had to pick between the two, you just ditch Terry right now. Yeah, I mean, there's no way Rio's going to line up alongside John Terry. It's just I just can't see that. That just seems extraordinarily unlikely to happen. So, anyway, who cares? Stupid England. It was stupid. We've had questions asking us whether we're going to li- win the league from at Office Monkey and at Colin RHCP asks, simple question, do you think we will still nick it? And if so, do we deserve it after a spineless show on Monday? If we win, it's because we deserve it. I mean, because to, if City muck it up from this position, they deserve it even less than us, you know. But my current position on the matter is that United are not going to win the league and that they blew it in that second half against Everton. Yeah, it's my position too. I mean, City, I was just checking the odds of 4-6 to six on to beat Newcastle. I think they will. I just think the, the confidence is there. And I think when the pressure's on, they will go there and win. Uh, I'd just be really, really, really surprised now. And the odds, are, the odds are showing that too. I can still see United screwing up at Sunderland. I think we'll beat Swansea. Swansea are a little bit brittle on the road. But, it, you know, that's a really difficult game for us at Sunderland, especially when the pressure's on to win. And we have to win twice, don't we? And, and City are not going to screw up against QPR. So it really is down to that Newcastle game. I, I really don't see any scenario in which City will blow it. I mean, of course, look, things can happen. Maybe 30 seconds in, there's a red card or something, you know? And that could change everything. It's all in the details, isn't it? But but in terms of deserving it, yeah, I mean, the team that gets the most points, I, I guess, deserves it. I mean, City have completely battered us twice in the league this season. And so they might feel hard done by if they if they did manage to blow it. Yeah, but it's not. That's it's the league. It's the league, and it? it's not a cup competition. It's who can get the most points out of the games that they play. And you know, so yeah. I mean, I'll be I'll be stunned. I'll be stunned if we win the league. You know, I I've thought for a long time that people are overstating the the difficulty of the Newcastle trip, assuming it matters. Now I have to say their performance away at Chelsea has upset me slightly because there's the you know hope or whatever. But uh, Chelsea are, are not Manchester City. Manchester City are, are better than Chelsea by by a considerable margin. I would argue much much less defensively vulnerable than Chelsea. So I guess we should move on to a preview of the Swansea game, which is still happening, even though I, I'm, my petition to have football cancelled has not worked. At expert, she's saying, is Sunday the perfect opportunity for Dimitar Berbatov to make himself a hero and score five? I, I would like to see that. I, I think the chances of him getting enough minutes to score five are pretty slim. He's got to get on the bench to start with. Uh, I mean, he was on the bench against City, wasn't he? But no, I don't think it'll happen. I think United will probably go back to the team that they probably should have played at City. Yeah, except Danny's obviously injured, so Chicharito will play, uh, I suspect. You suspect that, and unless he plays around with the, the front selection and then sort of plays young in the hole or something along those lines, and Evans is out as well. He just needs goals. He just need, we, need to, we need to score as many goals as humanly possible, don't we? Well, we need win to start with, but yeah. Getting six or seven would be great, but I mean, this is a good Swansea side. I, I'd be I'd be pretty surprised if United uh, run up a cricket score against Swansea. They did concede four against Wolves in 45 minutes, which is almost mathematically impossible. Yeah, that was quite bizarre, that game, yeah. It was. I can't imagine they'll do that again, although they have kind of switched off a bit, but there's surely nothing more of a tonic for a footballer, maybe even in his first season in the top flight, who's switched off to go to Old Trafford. That's going to be, that's going to wake you up in a hurry, isn't it? You know? Yeah, well, that's right, yeah. Of course, the FA Cup final this weekend as well. <laughs> no, it isn't. Another of the four competitions 
ones we got dumped out of early. <laughs> there is no such thing as the FA Cup final, Ed. Anyone that tells you different is a myth. I can't believe I'm not going to watch the FA Cup final. I, I love the FA Cup final. I love I love the whole watching three hours of pointless build-up thing. Right, it's even more than that. ESPN are on live at 8am. It doesn't kick off till half five. <laughs> That's incredible. The children of today, they're not going to be able... You can't take that much build-up. I remember when it, it was like 11 o'clock was when it started and kickoff was at 3 and your dad would say, you're not surely going to watch all of this and then you'd say, oh yeah, come on, please, dad, it'll be brilliant and then you'd fall asleep after about an hour and a half because you're nine. It's just a, a story at random there from my childhood. But yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to watch the FA Cup final, are you? I, I might do. Why not? You know, what the hell? You're going uh, to wear blue scarves then, Ed. Are you going to go all full, full Chelsea fan? I just hope there's some, you know, horrible biblical hailstorm or something and, and the game's called off. Yes, and the FA Cup is retrospectively awarded to us for services to football. Yeah, well, you know, in, in deference to what we did in 2000 when the FA made us go and play in that pointless FIFA competition and then blamed United for pulling out. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Although Fergie cites that FIFA competition has been a very significant turning point in that season and uh, and our, our kind of comfortable stroll to the league title was aided by a trip to Brazil and a recharge of the old batteries because we certainly weren't putting any effort in on the pitch out there. Well, no, you know, David Beckham tried to kneecap someone, but apart from that, yeah, it was definitely a bit of a stroll and a visit to the Copacabana or something like that, yeah. The Swansea game is going to be... I, I would be surprised, actually, if we don't win. I mean, I wouldn't be completely shocked or anything, given everything that's happened, but, you know, Swansea obviously use the ball extremely effectively, hold the ball extremely well, and they could give us a few scares, but I, I they haven't been in great form lately, and you would hope that, you know, United would still have too much for them, or, although I'm definitely not yeah. taking it for granted. No, I'm not. I think I think it'll be a comfortable win, though, in the end. I, I think Swansea aren't really playing uh, for anything, and United have to win. I mean, the, the only way United don't win, I think, is if the players uh, realise it's the game's afoot now. But I, I would hope they're more professional than that, and they'll go out and they'll win fairly comfortably. I don't see United running up a critical score. I think it all rests on what happens between Newcastle and City. With City playing first, if they do win, I think many of the United players will then realise that it, it's, uh, it's gone. On the other hand, and of course, if uh, hope springs yeah. eternal, etc. Um, all right, prediction times, Ed. I, I think United are going to win three 0 and I think it'll be comfortable. All right, I think it's going to be two one. United, scrappy, unpleasant, uncomfortable. Uh, that's what I think. And I think that City will beat Newcastle, and the league will be effectively over. I think the league is effectively over. Yes, I, I think so too. I've, I've reconciled myself to that fact, and and uh, if by some miracle of miracles, uh, Newcastle do manage to get a point out. Of City then then I will take that as a massive bonus but but for now I think I'm hugely shocked if City don't go and win at St James's I think they're they're a professional enough bunch that they'll do it and I think the United result has, has robbed them of any nerves that might have been remaining anyway it's not in the characteristics of your average United supporter to get behind another club because we haven't done the job ourselves but this is the uncomfortable position that we all find ourselves in so from us to you uh, we have one simple message to leave you with this week and that is Fog and the Titan is our main our main Fog and the Titan is our main our main yeah so you can get in touch with Ed at United Rant on Twitter or you can put a comment on the United Rant show page you can get me at UTD Rantcast on Twitter you can email us at cast at unitedrant.co.uk you can leave us a review on iTunes if you like to do that sort of thing always much appreciated if you find yourself at the end of the month with a load of spare money feel free to throw some money at us at unitedrant.co.uk 
slash donate. And one final thing, Ed, I'm sorry to do this, but I'd just like to plug something which is completely unrelated from football, but this is a product that has been made by a friend of mine. It's an app for iOS devices called Happy Hints. That's £2.99. It has a huge amount of positive, uplifting and educational content in there. Uh, all about how to be happier. I'd have been happier if Ferguson hadn't picked parking midfield. <laughs> yeah, well, this is this is a way of getting over that, that painful defeat. Look at that. I'm exploiting United fans' pain for... Financial gain. It's a disgrace. That's what it is. It's not my own financial gain. And, and, and hopefully the, the people that buy the app will get the most gain out of it. Well, on that note, I think it's over to Gaza.